Hello there and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. Today I have a very special interview here at the Parallel Nepolis in the Czech Republic. And next to me, we have Max Hampshire, who is the developer relations guy at NIM. If you're not aware of NIM, I had an interview with Harry Halpin a few months ago. I think it's been almost one year. And it seems like the project has really grown. Harry is upstairs doing some networking, I guess. He was like, yeah, I'm not sure if he has something new to say, but definitely Max has a lot of stuff to add. You guys had a presentation on stage about an hour ago. Mm-hmm. And you have some announcements, like a master plan or something. Yeah, yeah, we did. So, you know, I, as the developer relations guy, you know, my main job is I do, I do all of our technical documentation. I'm looking after all of our grants program. I also help people actually, you know, building this infrastructure and running this infrastructure as well. So I kind of, and as well, I do talks, I do workshops. Um, so I, I did that talk and then had me and Harry kind of uh, did a double team with this talk where we also, we went over the roadmap, kind of what we've achieved so far. The last year has been, has been crazy. We launched in February on mainnet. Um, so we were kind of going over that, but then we were also looking at what we're going to be doing in the future, you know, which way we're kind of moving and what we have to do to make the Mixnet um, anonymous, you know, anonymous enough that you could use it uh, to protect yourself against the kind of global passive adversary that at the moment is uh, actually probably as we speak is maybe one of the things behind the continual DDoSing of Tor, you know. Um, and then we also did a, a small announcement about a uh, essentially a legal defense fund that was being announced, properly launched in, uh, in Bogota in March too. Yeah, I speak with some friends who build wallets sometimes, and they're upset about the fact that Tor gets DDoSed so often. Mm-hmm. They have to do customer support and explain to people that it's not their fault, that sometimes the wallet is unreliable and doesn't sync. It can't send transaction if it, transactions if it doesn't sync. So exactly. it's pretty terrible that this is happening. And this has been sustained for five or six months now. I think Tor has been super unreliable lately. And this makes it more interesting to look at alternatives. And this is part of the reason why I wanted so badly to have someone from NIM. Because when I interviewed Harry, the project was still... I, I think still now, it's still in development. There is a lot of stuff to build. But it's getting better, and uh, you guys have pretty good funding and backing, so I'm pretty sure you're gonna make it at one point. It's all a matter of making users. It is. I mean, it's it's a couple of things. You know, we at the moment, <clears throat> you know, building this kind of a of a system and all of the all of the deep networking stuff that happens in the infrastructure, right, to, to give it these, the privacy-preserving properties that we really want. Um, you know, they take time as well. And this is also, this is, you know, hopefully, like, on the horizon. This is not maybe by next year. This is, you know, the next few months. So in terms of the turnaround, then, yeah, you know, the last year has been, it's really been focused on, like, we have now have the mixnet up. We want to see how it reacts as we start slowly ramping users in, you know, which is um, maybe something I can talk about later, how we've been actually getting people to start using it. But then, you know, there's also, yeah, there's there's some deeper networking stuff, some, you know, kind of anonymous replies, uh, replay protection um, increasingly, which is something um, that we've already experienced, some of censorship protection as well. And, you know, some of that stuff you can also only really work on when 
the system's already kind of running. So you can see, you know, you can see how something maybe is working and then you can start, um, you know, implementing solutions to that too. Also, yeah, you know, we wanted to get it up and get it built and start testing on the road as quickly as possible. Um, because, yeah, otherwise people would maybe be waiting, you know, a lot, a lot longer if we tried to ship it uh, in the kind of end state that we want it to be in. I think at this point we should explain the difference between Tor and NIM. Yep. Tor works with routing nodes and an exit node. Mm -hmm. I think it's illegal to run an exit node in most countries, and that's kind of one of the big problems with it, as the exit node has access to some information that the routing nodes don't. Mm -hmm. It and is. NIM uses MixNets, which is a Chaumian idea. It was created by David Chaum in the 1990s or something, or probably earlier. I actually think it was the late 80s when he published that paper. Yeah. So MixNets have been around for a while. There was, you know, there was a few attempts at MixNets. MixMinion was running, and um, I know this is something that Harry said before. Maybe, you know, maybe MixMinion was actually the way that uh, Nakamoto was actually, you know, uh, sending emails to the to the mailing list when talking about Bitcoin and trying to remain anonymous. But, um, you know, this NIM is the first incentivized MixNet. So now, obviously, we've seen all of the implosions, declines, and massive growth of blockchains in all various shapes and forms and all of the work that's going on there on the protocol design layer. And, yeah, now it's kind of we can we can use some aspects of blockchain technology to be able to build an incentivized mixnet. The mixnet itself isn't on the blockchain, but there's, you know, the, the token, the rewarding, and the reputation system uh, are. And that also gives us a greater flexibility um, when it comes to actually allowing users to be using the mixnet and know that they're maybe, I don't know, not being man in the middle in terms of uh, knowing which routes to send their packets through. But I can go a bit more into this difference between Tor and NIM, right? So... <clears throat> there are certain similarities. So uh, Tor uses onion routing, right? Which is where you you want to send some traffic through Tor and out of a particular exit node. And so you multiply encrypt your packets like an onion with each layer being able to be decrypted um, and then by, by a particular node, which can then see where it needs to send the traffic, right? So uh, in, that, in that way, NIM and Tor um, are relatively similar. We also use a multiply encrypted uh, and root-based um, encryption model where uh, packets, uh, you define a route for a packet and then you encrypt accordingly with, so they can be decrypted by the gateways and mix nodes in between uh, and then finally sent either out of the other side or just to the kind of the other NIM client um, that you want to be talking to. So that's how they're similar. There's a couple of differences, though. <clears throat> so with regards to these routes, we're already talking about them, so I'll just keep talking about it. With Tor, you make a circuit, and that circuit is basically the set of nodes that you're actually bouncing your traffic through in order to give you the kind of, um, you know, to kind of break this link between uh, your public IP and maybe the timing of when I was sending the original packets, right, which is metadata that can be now in the age of, you know, there's like kind of the kind of machine learning that governments and increasingly like large companies have. Um, even those tiny bits of information can actually be used to over time de-anonymize people. And 
that's kind of a problem that it uses the same route for a particular amount of time. Okay, because you could, you know, say if you sent a couple of cryptocurrency transactions and you send it through that route and someone, well, people are able to watch everything that comes in and everything that comes out of Tor. Um, you could then maybe look at that traffic and say, oh, well, I think that's a cryptocurrency transaction. And then, okay, well, you know, those three have been sent like pretty similar time, kind of through a similar circuit. So maybe that's probably the same person. And that's information that could actually be used to de-anonymize you, right? The difference between NIM and Tor, with NIM, uh, we use each packet is rooted individually. So we don't have this concept of a circuit. So when I, um, also we use a different packet format, which is called Sphinx, actually the same packet format that Lightning uses. And what will happen is, you know, I have a message that I want to send to you through the MixNet. Um, you will have a local NIM client, a software client running on your machine. And what it will basically do, it will take this message, it will chop it up into identically sized Sphinx packets, each of which is being routed differently through the MixNet as well. And then it will number them. And then it will send all of them through the MixNet. And there's, at each hop, then basically the MixNet also introduces a variable timing delay. So basically, it will each node in the MixNet will hold the packet for a little bit. And that is also semi-randomized and can be set as well, which is some of the work that we're working on, how to properly parameterize this so that, you know, if you want to send a really, really, really private transaction and don't want, don't mind waiting, whatever, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever, you could do that. Uh, but maybe if actually, I just want ambient kind of, I want very, still very good um, privacy, but I don't mind that it's, you know, I need it to be a bit quicker. I could also parameterize that too. So that's one of the main differences is that we don't have this concept of a circuit, um, which can lead to some leakage. Also, because of all of, our, all of our packets are the same size and encrypted the same way, then uh, you can't really say, okay, you know, well, that traffic looks like a, a website being loaded mm -hmm. or an email or something like this. And then the final aspect is, sorry, there's a fly. Oh, there's a, so then the final aspect is that all of the nodes are also sending each other what we call cover traffic or dummy traffic, which is basically just, uh, again, it's just Sphinx packets, right, that are being routed and looped through the MixNet, which is where actually the name for the original protocol design that the MixNet is based on, uh, Loopix, comes from. So you're kind of sending traffic, which looks the same as all the other traffic, into a stream of traffic which is being held. So it's kind of like shuffling a deck of cards, but all the deck of cards look the same before each hop. And that's per packet routing as well, which also means, and then when it comes to reliability as well, it also means that, you know, maybe if one or two packets get dropped, that's fine, they get retransmitted, but you don't have this problem where you can, you know, you could maybe take down one or two nodes in Tor and then your entire circuit stops working and that's where, you know, and then you get a stream of traffic that just kind of disappears. Um, so there's a resistance to that as well, which is obviously in terms of, you know, user, um, kind of user retention and just general ease of use of this thing. Um, yeah, it makes it a lot, a lot, a lot more friendly, I think. But I think this separation of packets when instead of having a circuit, you have them individually encrypted and you have them compressed into the same size. Does it come with a speed trade-off? Is it slower than Tor from this point of view? So, 
This is a really interesting question. So, you know, Tor, obviously the main use case for Tor is to be, uh, is for like private web browsing, right? And obviously there are, there are certain trade-offs. NIM is mixnets in general. The design of a mixnet is more more suited for the kind of asynchronous operations, where either having a small lag or a tiny bit of packet loss that then has to be kind of retransmitted, so it kind of catches up. Um, it's a lot more suited to these asynchronous things, you know, as opposed to uh, maybe you want to do streaming or something like that. That said. Because of this parameterization that I was talking about that we're trying to implement as well, um, maybe I could be like, well, I want my thing to be yeah, very slightly less private. And I mean, I'm, these are very small, you know, it's all still has the base privacy properties of the mixnet, right? So metadata protection um, and the ability to protect against traffic analysis attacks. But maybe I want it to be a little bit faster. Um, and you know, that's also something that helps there. But at the moment, I I had a Telegram call the other day through the Mixnet, which had a very slight delay on it. But if you're wanting to have a call where, I don't know, maybe, maybe me and you have some way of proving to each other that it is actually us that, I don't know, maybe I sent you an email requesting Bitcoin or something, and you want proof of life kind of confirmation from me. Mm -hmm. That's something that's happened. Um, Dave Harushin, our CTO, he watched YouTube through it the other day, which was, and it was, you know, very good quality as well. So there are some trade-offs in theory, but we're trying to counter those trade-offs with this kind of parameterization that we're also really working on with the Mixnet too, you know? Yeah, I understand. After Mt. Gox collapsed, that was really the precipice of me saying, right, this has to change. We need a totally transparent exchanging system um, and base it on gold instead of fiat. Voltoro is the hard money exchange which helps you beat inflation with instant swaps between the best stores of value known to man, gold and Bitcoin. Unlike most exchanges, Voltsoro understands the importance of transparency and security. All gold holdings are secured in top-tier Swiss private vaults and fully insured against theft, fire and more. Maximize your purchasing power today by going to voltsoro.com slash Bitcoin Takeover. This is not financial advice, but gold has been humankind's most reliable store of value in the last 6,000 years. Do your own research. Use promotion code TAKEOVER for a one-time bonus of one gram of gold for the first 50 new customers buying gold with Bitcoin. Are you concerned that your friends, neighbors or KYC exchange might know how much Bitcoin you own? It is time to take your financial privacy seriously with Wasabi Wallets, a free and open source wallet solution which makes use of mega coin joins to mix your coins with those of hundreds of other strangers. Thanks to the groundbreaking Wabi Sabi engine, your coins get divided in smaller untraceable units 
which grants you great anonymity for both huddling and spending. Download Wasabi Wallet 2.0 today at wasabiwallet.io and take advantage of the mega coin joins. It's free and it's open source, so don't trust Verify. What are you going to wear when Bitcoin hits $1 million? The same old $20 t-shirt? Try Maison Machi, the designer clothes made in Paris by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. They're not your average mass-produced sweatshop clothes. Machi will ask for your measurements and tailor every piece of clothing according to the shape of your body so you always look and feel great in your t-shirt, hoodie or dress. It's all made in France by real artisans who also happen to be Bitcoiners. Which is why Maison Machi only accepts Bitcoin as payment for their clothes. Get a Maison Machi t-shirt or hoodie today, it might even help you find a girlfriend. And once you do get a girlfriend, you can also buy her a Maison Machi dress. Stop having fun looking poor and check out MaisonMachi.com That's M-A-I-S-O-N-M-A-A-C-H-I.com Something interesting that I remember from the first time when I met Harry is that we were in Mallorca last year mm -hmm. at a conference and he met Peter Todd and Peter Todd asked him how did you convince the European Commission to fund the project? And Harry said something about leveraging this geopolitical situation where maybe that the European Commission was concerned that Tor is controlled too much by the United States and they need something that the United States doesn't control. So do you think that NIM can play this geopolitical arbitrage and is it censorship resistant as opposed to what Tor is right now? So at the moment, um you know, the date that we're speaking right now, NIM is not censorship resistant. This is one of the the next kind of big thorny problems that we uh, want to be dealing with. Because, and you know, this has already come up. We've had a few users in Iran. We've had a few users in China. We've had a few users in other places whose traffic, you know, traffic hasn't worked in those countries. And obviously that's because, um, because of all the things I was just saying, you know, you uh, your NIM client comes online and starts firing off a steady stream of, Sphinx packets at a fairly consistent rate. That looks really weird if you do have uh, an ISP who's monitoring for strange packet behavior. So at the moment, um, no, we do have problems with censorship resistance, but we are working on those. You know, and there are always patches that you can do, but we're trying to work on something on a more a systematic, a more deep level. Yeah, that's one of the one of the things that we want to start working on. You can argue that the censorship resistance issue exists only because the adoption rate is low. If there were more packets that looked identical, 
and more people used it and the ISP saw more of that, maybe it would not be suspicious anymore. But this is just like a social interpretation of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, that's one possible way of interpreting it. That, yeah, it like, you know, you have a very few people who are suddenly sending these streams of packet and these stick out because of how weird they look. But I think there's also the other problem that it's, um, at the moment, the traffic's quite easily identifiable as being strange. So that obviously, the first time you see it, then you're like, okay, well, if we watch for that in the future, then you know we always just block it, right? So, um, yeah, there needs to essentially be a way of obfuscating that first hop between the user and getting it into the mixnet. And so, you know, the first thing, um, the first kind of node, the nodes that sit on the outside of the mixnet, and this is maybe something I should have mentioned earlier when we're talking about the differences between Tor and NIM. So Tor, obviously, you have um, all of the packets, you have all of the nodes in the middle, they do the, the routing, and you have your entrance and exit nodes on each side. And so with NIM, you're kind of adding an extra one because you have a, uh, you have a gate, we call them gateways, which are the kind of entrance and exit nodes for the mixnet. And they, they kind of provide two things. They provide um, authentication because the mixnet will, um, in the future, it will it will be pay to play. You know you'll need to pay a little bit. However, we're also you know there's ways that maybe applications can do that for users, right? Um, but they also offer a um, they also offer the chance to basically store messages for you if you go offline for whatever reason. Then you come back and your gateway is like, oh hey, you have a load of packets from the mixnet. Um, and then in the middle, the things that do the mixing are mix nodes. So these are things that just accept rooted packets from gateways um, and then kind of route them through. So yeah, gateways are kind of our, our extra buffer between clients. And then, um, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. You mentioned that NIM works with YouTube videos. Maybe not at the speed that it would work without any kind of privacy technology running mm -hmm. on top of your connection. But I'm pretty sure that for Bitcoin nodes, it can be, I, I mean, you're not really going to notice a difference. You need to only synchronize a certain amount of data. Exactly. And that's, yeah, that's, that's why it's so good for these kind of asynchronous operations. You know, you don't, you don't notice if you're, maybe you're, maybe you either don't notice or you don't mind if your signal messages come through, you know, a couple of fractions of a second later or exactly with a, a cryptocurrency transaction where you already might have a 10 minute confirmation time, that extra second or two really doesn't change anything, you know? So that, again, that's why it's really, that's why it's good for these more async ways of, uh, async applications really, yeah. Yeah, right now I'm thinking how we can bring NIM to Bitcoin nodes or something. Well, we actually have a, someone's already built the proof of concept for a, um, a service that would essentially allow you to um, privately broadcast your Bitcoin transaction. Well, it would allow you to, at the network layer, privately broadcast your Bitcoin transaction to the network so that, you know, anyone who was um, looking at the, you know, where stuff's coming into the mempool from, they would, um, they would only see the service. They wouldn't see you who'd actually done it. And so that's kind of the, the thing that we're also really working on now but the stage that the project's at in the last couple of months, we've been really focused on, okay, how do we actually start getting applications to be kind of hooked up to this? What's the infrastructure we need for those things? How do we get users using it? And yeah, someone's already built a proof of concept of a Bitcoin broadcaster. Um, we have a one for Monero transactions. We have one for Ethereum transactions. And 
you know, at the moment you can also very easily hook up existing applications that um, are essentially able to just speak to one of our clients with the most common one being the, the SOX5 proxy protocol, which the majority of cryptocurrency applications do already have. You know, we've used Blockstream Green, we've used Electrum, we've used like a load of other Bitcoin wallets through the mix now already and it does work. Yeah. That's nice. Mm. You mentioned something about proof of concept and I know that you presented something about potential projects that you want basically to outline and you want other people to step in to develop them. Tell me about that. It's some sort of master plan or something. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so obviously, I'm as the developer relations kind of officer. One of the things that one of the core things of my job is able is enabling people to build with them, uh, doing some proof of concepting work myself. And there's a variety of ways that I can basically do that. You know, whether it's through uh, technical docs and guides, or whether it's kind of you know uh, building you know, building proof of concepts myself and then showing it to the community and people build on that. Or the more formalized way of doing it is our grant scheme, which is um, something that's going to launch very, very soon. And yeah, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of ways that I'm kind of, uh, that we're approaching this. So there's a few apps that people have already started to build and we want to be able to fund people properly to actually, you know, to, to properly work on those applications. But then there's also a like a list of specifications that from from the kind of both the feedback from people who've been running some of this infrastructure, you know, to enable people to use apps in the last few months, or uh, stuff that just I've noticed myself, and you know, some of the other members of the team have noticed, we're basically going to be writing a series of specs of like kind of stuff that we would like people to build and that we want to fund them to build using them. Um, at the moment, a lot of these are very based on, you know, adding more services to the mixnet, um, you know, enabling people to hook up local internet, uh, sorry, local email clients uh, to be able to, you know, anonymously use the mixnet as, as was the, you know, the, the OG use case of mixnets was anonymous email Mm -hmm. right so you know and and yeah basically enabling enabling people to to build that kind of stuff but we also there's also a wild card as well there so if it's just if if anyone thinks they have an existing app that they'd really like to use nim as the transport layer then they can also kind of apply with that with that wild card of integration and uh yeah uh, you mentioned remailers and that being the og use case that's why bitcoin was at least in the early stages, being researched. That's why we had all of these projects like Bitgold, like B Money, yeah. like what? What else did we have? Well, I mean, eCash. Yeah, I mean, it it was trying basically to solve this problem of people running remailing services yep. like servers in their houses. And how do you pay for that? Well, you don't want to send a bank account transfer because it defeats the purpose of anonymity. So. Do you have an online currency? Not really. How can you make it, you know, decentralized and censorship resistant and have like a larger market? Well, that's pretty hard to figure out. Mm. And you had all of these sort of centralized currencies yep. that failed. And then we ended up receiving Bitcoin. Mm. But proof of work also was originally an anti-mail uh, spam measure as well right so yeah like yeah hash the, yeah the history of email and bitcoin is like so thoroughly intertwined 
and yeah, you know, we've already we've talked about David Charm a few times. We've you know mixed million, uh, all of these things. These these were also really really focused on you know, cash and email, because cash and email ultimately are like you said, it's the way you can privately communicate and how you can try and have a non-centralized way of from communicating with people also paying them. So yeah, the history of them is really intertwined and obviously it's something that, you know, with them we wanna we wanna support. We already support Bitcoin wallet um, integration in quite a manual way, you know, so we wanna actually also fund deeper integration where you're actually it's just within the app and maybe there's a, you know, whatever, a connect with NIM button or something like this for your um for the for the transactions that you don't want to leak your IP. And uh, yeah, and also, you know, trying to get this email uh, email services up and running as well so people can just plug their Thunderbird into a local Sox 5 client and then be hiding themselves from their uh, email servers. Let's assume that there will be develop developers listening to this and they might be searching for opportunities and you have some incentives there. You have like a fund to pay them to build stuff. Can you provide a couple of examples of stuff that you need to get built on NIM? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> one of the things, I've already talked about uh, a service provider that can deal with emails. So at the moment we have a way of um, essentially kind of, we have something called a network requester, which is vaguely analogous to a Tor exit node, vaguely, uh, but with one key difference in that it has a whitelist feature. And so the whitelist feature is that, you know, say if I want to run a service where I want to be able to have Blockstream Green, Electrum, and, you know, maybe a Monero wallet, and I want to be able to essentially take traffic from the mixnet and forward that traffic to whatever backend servers are required by those desktop applications, and essentially kind of act almost as that kind of exit node for people. That, that already exists, but we need one for emails as well which um so that's something that's one of the things i'm going to spec out as well and um one of the other specifications is a way for these service providers to actually kind of announce themselves to the network as well at the moment you know as a form of civil resistance we have a way that mixed nodes and gateways can announce themselves to the network and they have to do that by staking a small amount and um those are all then held in a Cosmwasm smart contract on our on our blockchain, which is called Nix. Um, at the moment, we don't really have anything analogous for service providers, but obviously, that's one of the core bits of infrastructure that you need for you know when something's scaling. You can't always just be kind of asking around in chat groups for you know an address of a network request that then you can send stuff to. So we need a way for them to be able to, in a in a fairly trustless way announce themselves to a network and then anyone can just pull that list down and say okay well these are the list of services these are maybe the list of things that they support and that's how i kind of you know that's how you start actually bringing users in a lot more because you can start integrating that in front ends and then for a user it's as simple as you know it's in a front end and okay well i want to send uh, maybe telegram traffic and oh there's a list of them there and then you pick one you know and really starting to kind of like flesh out how you would do this in a in a properly decentralized way yeah about the nim token yes a lot of people listening to this will be like why does it need a token and also do you think it can be moved to some sort of bitcoin layer for better security okay 
So, I mean, the reason it needs a token is, like I said, it's incentivized, right? We want people to actually, um, we want people to get paid for running these infrastructure, these bits of infrastructure. Um, because as we've seen with, uh, you know, obviously with like uh, mining pools, staking pools, all of this kind of stuff over the last few years, adding market dynamics to the running of infrastructure, generally, A, it brings more people in who actually want to do it. And also, you know, you're, it's a very important thing that you're doing. You're providing a, part of, a piece of privacy infrastructure. And, you know, this could be something that's maybe it's, you know, maybe it's life or death for someone, but maybe you're also just kind of, you're um, providing privacy to the rest of the world, which is something that we desperately need. So, yeah, you need to incentivize it, obviously. Um, I do believe originally, like an earlier iteration, was actually using uh, Bitcoin in some form. But then um, I think just because because of the complexity of the system, then um, moving to a moving to a decentralized substrate that had smart contracts enabled, and especially the kind of smart contracts that uh, Cosmwasm enables us. So we're a, <clears throat> excuse me, we're a Cosmos SDK chain. Um, that just gave us a lot more kind of flexibility. And it gave us the kind of zero finality that also we um, we kind of need when we're talking about, you know, whether a mixed node is is able is available to route traffic, whether it's not, what the rewards are, you know, all of this because it happens in in the smart contracting layer. Uh, you really need something with the real, you know, kind of instant finality and the flexibility that Cosmos will, you know, the Cosmos SDK actually enables us to have. You know, in theory, you could do something like this on Bitcoin, but then where your kind of central accounting layer is then also becomes more of a more of a difficult question to solve yeah uh, i think by now rootstock rsk and there will be stuff like rgb mm. on top of lightning and yeah. taro or whatever they can provide some pretty good ways so yeah. who knows maybe exactly in the future. who knows i mean you could totally see it being ported as well you know maybe if someone wants to build something analogous then you know um then you completely could yeah i mean the token really is the token is, you know, people will use it to pay for using the Mixnet eventually. And it's also the way that people who are running all of these nodes, running all of these services, uh, will get paid for doing it. Because obviously, it's incredible to see that, you know, there's 6,000 Tor nodes that people are looking after just because, just out of altruism, right? But then, um, yeah, we wanted to a we we now could so we wanted to see if we could incentivize people, but then also there's you know incentivization and the market dynamics then kind of can can really help providing a better service as well, yeah, because there's a certain amount of market dynamics within the way that mixed nodes themselves are selected, and so you need a token and a reputation system to be able to achieve that. Yeah, some people will not be happy to hear this, but at the same time, we need to think about the situation of Tor, where the incentive is to collect data, and that's why governments run most of the exit nodes. So you do use that network, you benefit from a degree of anonymity, but it's not absolute. And if we want something better, then I guess we need to compromise and accept that you're going to have to pay. Exactly. But I mean, you know, it might not be it might not be you the single user that might be paying for for using the network, right? You know, there's there's lots of different ways that you can think of um 
where where in the layer uh, or like where in the whole flow of maybe I want to use you know a chat app um, where this payment's actually made and you could also imagine that you know services will would almost buy just kind of like bulk amounts of of NIM and so actually this payment is completely abstracted from the user maybe it's still completely free for the user of this app that's integrated with them to use um, because they don't have to know but under the hood the you know whoever runs the app um, is actually paying you know for its bulk users and obviously you could then imagining that that app is also a decentralized application then we start getting into like areas where we have a series of you know, really decentralized and really robust kind of different systems interacting with each other. But for you as a user, it could just be the same as just opening a chat app and just chatting to people. You never even have to know necessarily because, you know, the MixNet is a layer zero. It's a network level anonymity solution. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's one way. It's a protocol, so it's agnostic to everything else. It well, can run on top of anything you can... Yeah, I mean, it it's, a, it's an overlay. In, in, and again, similar to Tor, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an overlay. It's a communications overlay network. Um, so, yeah, obviously, it, you know, it's, it's, not like a, it's not a networking protocol in that, you know, it's not, we're not kind of rewriting, I don't know, TCP IP or something. But, you know, it is a, it is a very low level. Um, it's very low down in the stack. Is everything about NIM open source? Yes. So anyone can create forks or try to break it or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. We work completely in the open. All of our code is open source. Um, it's all there. It's all on GitHub. Um, all of our code is yeah, it's there in the NIM mono repo, and anyone can go and have a look. Um, you know, some of our active research as well from the research team. Some of that also happens on GitHub. So yeah, we um, with all of our code, we we very much work in the open. You know, everyone anyone can come. They can have a look at what we're working at. Uh, on you know they can look at how we're working yeah okay so let's say a couple of years from now where do you see the nim project do you think it's gonna penetrate users and maybe penetrate is a bad verb let me think of another one maybe you think it's gonna get traction among users and make some people give up on tour and use nim or do you do you see them complementary for different use cases? They they ultimately, I mean, they're complementary technologies, you know? <clears throat> like I said before, you know, we're really for async stuff. Um, Tor obviously is, is more synchronous as well, which is just the kind of the difference in the architectural designs of the two. So no, I, it, I very much see a world that they're both complementing each other. And then maybe you just kind of use NIM for some of the use cases that at the moment you would otherwise maybe use Tor or try and use ITP or something like that, you know? So, and it will be, I can, I also, you know, I think the best case scenario in a few years is because of the, because of our architecture, then um, there's a whole plethora of ways that people could be interacting with them. And sometimes you might, you might never, hopefully, you know, you would never have to know about how NIM works. You just know that, you know, um, I don't know, your Signal or your Telegram or your whatever chat app is, um, you know, kind of running in, running very private mode, or it just always runs in that and actually just always uses NIM as the network layer. You never have to think about paying. And that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And the other end of the spectrum is very much where like, you know, 
obviously we're at HTTP, we're uh, in the land where, you know, most people are kind of very technical. And so you could also imagine some apps where NIM is very exposed to you in terms of, you know, your the client connection and kind of passing credentials and paying for it and all of this. Um, but those two things can completely coexist. And I think that's one of like the amazing robustnesses of like the way that NIM's designed. So yeah, um, because of that, there's different ways that we can kind of approach getting more users. And um, obviously on my side, I'm more on the on the developer-y, the more technical user-y side. Um, but we still want to make that as easy as possible for people. And obviously, you know, we've started to, already we've started to see, get a lot of attention from a lot of services that want to know how they can integrate. And um, yeah, with our developer grants program, um, we can start to fund that as well. So we can start funding those integrations and funding people to be uh, building new apps or integrating existing protocols in, into NIM. I see a parallel between NIM, Mixnets, and CoinJoins. What NIM aims to do, and Mixnets aim to do with data, that's what CoinJoins do with money. And wallets like Wasabi do pretty much the same. They're trying to be harder to identify by people who analyze the open blockchain. Mm -hmm. What you're trying to do is to make the packets harder to identify when they're being analyzed by ISPs. Yep. The difference is that those are those from CoinJoins are monetary transactions, but you deal with data transactions. Bitcoin transactions have fees and people are used to paying a fee when they move money. Mm -hmm. Network transactions have no fee. You pay for a subscription, yep. which is monthly or annually or whatever. Yep. You pay no fee, so you have to externalize the costs to something and you came up with the token. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, there is another aspect I haven't spoken about already, which is... Um, we do have a credentialing scheme which can actually be used at the application level as well uh, to actually to also kind of you know you could start using it to do stuff like anonymous transactions so it's a it's a credentialing scheme called coconut and these are um, these are generated according to a threshold signature scheme by our validator set uh, but then these tokens are they're not blockchain tokens Right, so these are, you can almost think of them as analogous to uh, re-randomizable, uh, so repeated use, but without linkability between uses. Um, you can like almost like JavaScript web tokens, right? But like completely non and existing offline. And that actually could also be used for stuff like private transactions and private voting, because you could essentially um, anonymously create a credential that you can never link between different uses of it that says, for instance, um, oh, I have X amount of tokens, so I'm going to do a vote in a DAO or even to you know show that or do private transactions as well. Um, but yeah, sorry, going back to your original question, then, yeah, you know, something like a subscription model could work. Um, but also where in the kind of not stack in a technical sense, but where in the stack in terms of, you know, the difference between the people who run an app or the actual users themselves, uh, where where that subscription happens, whether it's something like a VPN that I could be like, you know, okay, I pay X amount of NIM a month and I route all my traffic through NIM, or the actual service is doing that for you. Um, yeah.
So there's a lot of flexibility there in terms of like what kind of a subscription model is there. But I think in in the privacy space and in the crypto space, then yeah, like you said, people are more you know people are more used to paying a certain amount to do a particular thing. So I think there's a lot of room there to, you know, I don't think it will be too hard to sell people on that idea when when the mixnet does become pay to use. Today, if you're extra paranoid, you can run VPN, like a multi-hop VPN with two steps, two different servers, and run that on top of Tor. And your connection is going to get very slow, but at least you get better privacy. Can you do that to integrate NIM? And what it what would it look like? Like you have the VPN on top of NIM and then on top of Tor, or what is the best configuration for well, paranoia? I mean, I mean, you could do something where, for instance, you, um, you know, and this kind of goes back to our censorship resistant question previously, right? Where you could, you know, you could do something where you, for instance, like you obfuscate your first hop. So you create all of your NIM traffic locally, you tunnel that maybe through shadow socks or something. Um, and then, you know, then you tunnel that into a country which doesn't necessarily censor ISP, the ISP doesn't censor traffic as hard, and then that's when it kind of enters the, the mixnet. So you could do something like that. Uh, you know, at the moment today, if you are very, very paranoid and, you know, wanting the kind of absolute ironclad, you know, anonymity, then, um, you know, NIM is not there yet. We will be in a couple of months. So these are the kind of where the final bits of the puzzle are being are being you know kind of uh, are being implemented and put together. So hopefully, I I think you know from the presentation Harry did before with regards to the roadmap. Hopefully, you know before the end of the year, then we will be more in a position where you you don't have to think about setting up a multi-hot VPN on top of Tor. You could just use Nim instead. You know, sounds very good. I'm gonna test it in a couple of months when you have a better release. And I'm not sure what else I can ask you right now. How can you follow what's happening with the NIM project and okay. stay up to date? Um, so there's the uh, obvious, there's the kind of there's the normal kind of social channels. So there's our Twitter account. Um, we have a bunch of Telegram groups. We have an announcement group as well. If you don't want to be in the kind of noisier, uh, you know, the noisier open public channels. Uh, we do have a Discord, and we also have Keybase as well, um, which you know, yeah, the we we kind of started on we started on using Keybase, and we have a public Keybase instance as well that people can come and say hey and hang out, and there's a lot more, there's a lot of kind of a deeper, maybe deeper development chats and kind of protocol chats um, that naturally pop up in the in the public Keybase instance as well. So we've got quite a few different ways that people can follow if they want to, yeah whatever just follow or they want to get involved or if you know anything that i've been talking about now people want to get in touch with me about they can also get in touch with me through any of those well mostly keybase and uh, discord and email and stuff not the public telegram announcements channel obviously but yeah wait i still do have a question okay are there any system requirements for running a nim node <clears throat> so it depends on what node it is at the moment um so at the moment like the the system requirements, you know, the if you want to run a mix node or a gateway, then uh, those things really at the moment have to they have to live on a VPS. They have to live on a remote box. Um, in terms of kind of operating system requirements, then no, not really. Um, they're also fairly low on they're fairly low on storage kind of needs as well. 
you know. Um, so it's quite, it's quite, they're quite relaxed kind of nodes to run. Um, with a mix node, you do obviously want something that can do really high throughput of packet mixing. Uh, if you want to run a service or a network requester, at the moment, those are also really quite slimline because they're not really holding any traffic. They're kind of just processing it in terms of unencrypting and then passing it and then passing packets back. Um, so at the moment, the system is actually like has relatively low system requirements. One of the things that we are working on is, <clears throat> you know, we've been looking at the kind of multi-core setups that people, you know, maybe people have on the servers that they run and stuff like this. And, you know, these parameterizations and these optimizations of the mix nets, we are also kind of looking at are working on that too. And uh, also just getting some harder kind of system requirements out. Um, but no, everything runs very well on uh, Linux distributions, variety of Linux distributions. Um, the wallet obviously works on Mac, Windows, and Linux. And yeah. So would it work on a Raspberry Pi? So it depends on what you want to run. Um, one of the... So at the moment, for mixing infrastructure, it needs to be able to communicate in both IPv IPv4 and IPv6. Uh, so that's one possible drawback, where that's more related to people's home setups and whether they have IP, IPv6 at home. Um, I know a lot of places don't, but yeah. That's quite impressive. I'm going to keep an eye on the project. You should mention, so you said you have a Discord, you have a website and stuff. Just mention them, what they're named. Okay, so uh, it's just Nim on Discord. We are Nim Project on Twitter. Um, we are Nim dot Nimtech.friends on Keybase. And just look for the Nim announcements channel in Telegram. And if someone wants to follow you personally, is there any way to do that? So they could either email the uh, grant at nimdeck.net email address or max at nimtech.net, or you can follow me on Twitter. And uh, my Twitter is kind of an old Twitter handle, so it's uh, at underscore WJTH. So it's not particularly good to say on podcast. Maybe I should change it for the next podcast. <laughs> no, don't. You just mentioned it. so Yeah, so it's quite cryptic. People look for no, underscore WJTH. Yes, exactly. That's me on Twitter. Okay, it doesn't sound like anything from your name, but I'm not going to ask you what it stands for. <laughs> Cool. Thank you very much, and I look forward to other developments in them. Thanks for having me, man. After Mount Gox collapsed, that was really the precipice of me saying, right, this has to change. We need an totally transparent exchanging system um, and base it on gold instead of fiat. Voltoro is the hard money exchange which helps you beat inflation with instant swaps between the best stores of value known to man, gold and Bitcoin. Unlike most exchanges, Voltoro understands the importance of transparency and security. All gold holdings are secured in top-tier Swiss private vaults and fully insured against theft, fire, and more. Maximize your purchasing power today by going to voltero.com slash Bitcoin Takeover. This is not financial advice, but gold has been humankind's most reliable store of value 
in the last 6,000 years. Do your own research. Use promotion code TAKEOVER for a one-time bonus of one gram of gold for the first 50 new customers buying gold with Bitcoin. Are you concerned that your friends, neighbors or KYC exchange might know how much Bitcoin you own? It is time to take your financial privacy seriously with Wasabi Wallets, a free and open source wallet solution which makes use of mega coin joins to mix your coins with those of hundreds of other strangers. Thanks to the groundbreaking Wabi Sabi engine, your coins get divided in smaller untraceable units which grants you great anonymity for both huddling and spending. Download Wasabi Wallet 2.0 today at wasabiwallet.io and take advantage of the mega coin joins. It's free and it's open source, so don't trust Verify. What are you going to wear when Bitcoin hits $1 million? The same old $20 t-shirt? Try Maison Machi, the designer clothes made in Paris by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. They're not your average mass-produced sweatshop clothes. Machi will ask for your measurements and tailor every piece of clothing according to the shape of your body so you always look and feel great in your t-shirt, hoodie or dress. It's all made in France by real artisans who also happen to be Bitcoiners. Which is why Maison Machi only accepts Bitcoin as payment for their clothes. Get a Maison Machi t-shirt or hoodie today, it might even help you find a girlfriend. And once you do get a girlfriend, you can also buy her a Maison Machi dress. Stop having fun looking poor and check out MaisonMachi.com That's M-A-I-S-O-N-M-A-A-C-H-I.com